Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast focused on speaking with academics, leaders, students, and practitioners about the importance of democracy in our world. I'm Leah Surabell, Democracy and Communications Fellow for the Center. I'm a junior anthropology major with minors in honors and women, gender, and sexuality studies, and I'm also the editor of this podcast. Today, I'm taking over interviewing duties from Kara and David because they're actually the subject of this episode. James Madison University's Madison Center for Civic Engagement opened in 2018 to reflect JMU's commitment to becoming the national model of an engaged university. In that time, the Madison Center has developed innovative programming, including the Traveling Town Hall series, convened important campus dialogues, and helped students become active citizens in our democracy. Following the first four years of engagement work, the Madison Center now has new leadership and a new vision for what centers for civic engagement can and should be doing for students, for campuses, and for the broader community they reside in. I want to welcome Dr. David Kirkpatrick, Interim Executive Director and Associate Professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religion, and Dr. Kara Dillard, Interim Associate Director and Assistant Professor in the School of Communication Studies to the Democracy Matters podcast. Thank you, Leah. Thanks, Leah, for hosting us. And Leah, I'm glad you mentioned JMU and our President John Alger's commitment to becoming a national model of an engaged university, because people will often see the, the seeds that we plant in the ground, they'll grow publicly and bear fruit in a wide variety of ways. But I like to say, oftentimes, uh, those seeds are planted on the tilled ground of President Alger's national leadership. When you have the kind of buy-in and institutional support that we have from the top of our university, then that sets a tone for the whole university and how it values civic engagement. I can give one quick example. Uh, Dr. Dillard and I just returned from Germany, where we were with a gathering of leaders from Germany, from Ukraine and the U.S., funded in part by the U.S. State Department. And one of the evenings I presented on the Madison Center and the hosts of the Institute for Civic Studies and Democratic Learning that we were part of uh, asked me to get lunch because they had heard about President Alger's support and his leadership on these issues. JMU is now going to be the next host and a new partner for the Institute for Civic Studies and Democratic Learning here this summer. So with NC State and Augsburg University, JMU is stepping into this leadership role. And it was a reflection of what it means to have the kind of institutional buy-in that we do at the center. That's very exciting. David, you're an accomplished historian, and your new book, titled Blood and Borders, explores how stories and images of religious violence shaped voting constituencies and participation in the U.S. public square. What should we make of the university campus as a public square? I appreciate that question, Leah. I think for all the things that we do at the Madison Center, research and scholarship is the foundation. And so I've had my first book was with the University of Pennsylvania Press. I have a book coming out this fall with Rutgers, a co-edited volume. And that book is uh, hopefully going to be sent into Oxford this fall, um, focusing on religious violence and its effect, as you mentioned, on on voting constituencies. And so I think at its core, universities are pillars of healthy democracies. And I love to think especially about how this work intersects students. I, I, I love the conversation with people about, of course, I'm a historian who focuses on religion and politics. And religion is such an interesting 
uh, topic in our public square right now. But what can happen sometimes, and even with students in the classroom, is that um, everyone is welcome to bring their whole selves, perhaps except for people who, who have religious motivations or they're shaped by religion. Um, and so whether you have uh, religious faith or no faith, depending on what your your um, you know deepest commitments are, I like to help think people think of bringing their whole selves to the public square. So, what is it that motivates you? What is it that draws kind of how you think about the world and the best of building our community? I want to see a campus like JMU. Uh, allow people again to bring their whole selves with whatever that is and bring the best of their ideas to helping us think through uh, our university campus, our, our engagement in public issues, and of course, how we advance the common good. Uh, I think that's crucial in the public square for us to, to respect and honor and see the value in people as their whole selves, because who can then bring those ideas to help us on our campus. Kara, as a researching scholar and practitioner in deliberative democracy, how do you understand the role of centers for civic engagement in supporting universities as public squares? Oh, <laughs> Leah, that is just such a good question. Um, I feel really privileged to work at the Madison Center, um, not because of how David talked about this idea of our university president really leading the charge for campuses to think of themselves as civically engaged, um, but the idea of what centers themselves should be doing is a really important challenge. Um, I tend to think about it this way. Um, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, the campus as a affected as a public square, we need to give students, faculty, staff, community members, anybody who comes and is a part of the larger campus, we should give them opportunities to play with this concept of how do we become democratic citizens? How do we become active and um, ethical agents in the public square? And they need a chance to figure out how, you know, like David said, how their whole self interacts and intersects with um, these different kinds of wicked, wicked problems and wicked questions that they face um, in in as they in their community in their civic lives. So I think you know centers for civic engagement can really offer students, faculty, staff opportunities for continual skill building, whether that is giving students opportunities to participate in deliberative dialogues, in deliberative forums, um, in conversations about these different kinds of really difficult topics, and for people to really begin to figure out how does their whole self really um, think about, talk about, um, ethically begin to advocate for the things that are important, but also with each other and with people across different divides so that we can address, uh, you know, address these different kinds of, you know, really difficult issues that face campuses and communities. Thank you both for those great answers. Given that David, your historian in the philosophy and religion department, and Kara, you're a sociologist in the School of Communication Studies, and I myself am an anthropology major, it's evident that there isn't one specific major or field that has a monopoly on talking about our democracy. However, many on-campus spaces and conversations about wicked issues are dominated by the same few majors. David, how can we expand these conversations to create an intellectually diverse and civically engaged campus here? Yeah, I love this question, Leah, because it really does get to the heart of my vision and helping lead the Madison Center. The, the challenges that our democracy is facing, and I think today more people are aware of the challenges and pressure points that our democracy is facing, certainly in recent memory. As a historian, I'm always hesitant to say, you know, ever, or that we've never seen this before, because there are very critical times. We certainly had a civil war in this country. We faced a lot of turmoil in the Cold War in the 1960s. But this is certainly one of those times in terms of pressing, pressing conversations. Um, and so 
uh, it's important for us, I think, that these issues are so important that we cannot allow them to be a monologue. We need to bring the best of all fields, all ideas to these conversations. And so that work is on us as a center staff to include health sciences, to include the College of Business, to include the College of Education, to include the arts you know, more broadly. There are a lot of natural connections in the College of Arts and Letters. When we think about historians, sociologists, political scientists, uh, you know, all across that college. And yet there are really critical, I mean, we think about what's happened in our country today. If you're an entrepreneur thinking about your business, the changing political you know, leadership or tax laws are gonna have a massive effect on how you're, you're organizing your business. And so we wanna bring all of those conversations together. And I think as we think about the work of strengthening our democracy, we do need everybody. We need all hands on deck to, to do this work. Uh, and so, it cannot be, even though we all think that our fields are best, I certainly think that historians can bring a, a needed and critical perspective on, on these things. Um, we need everybody to come together in order to, to have that conversation. And that's on us. We need to do the work to create on-ramps where everyone feels like this is their shared project. On the note of having inclusive conversations, Kara, I know you have direct experience in convening deliberative forums for students and for the community. Does deliberation actually work? And what should students be learning from these kinds of engaged experiences? Uh, that, well, the answer, first answer to your question is emphatically yes, that deliberation does work. But, um, you know, I want to maybe uh, connect with what David was just saying about, you know, thinking about broader, um, you know, conversations happening on campus with a diversity of different kinds of majors. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of working in civic technology for a number of years now. Um, my research has been into online deliberation and working with organizations and foundations who have, you know, who have designed deliberative apps for phones so that people can um, you know can connect anywhere at any time with their neighbors with other citizens with their um, you know with with other people in their communities who they want to talk with about difficult issues and if we just relegate um, you know a, a discussion to be among um, you know, a small sect of students or a small sect of the college, then we're missing the kinds of innovators um, and entrepreneurs that may be in other parts of campuses that really do also have a vision and a stake and a particular interest in becoming civically engaged and demonstrating what their, um, you know, what their careers bring to the civic engagement sphere and work. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, like I said, I've had the opportunity to work in civic tech and specifically in online deliberation. And I think we know um, that online deliberation and deliberation writ large works. There's a growing number of campuses across the United States and now internationally who've really taken to this idea that um, we can have difficult dialogues on campus and where we can put students who are, um, you know, conservative and liberal who are across a variety of different divides and not just um, in that particular spectrum together, you know, in a space and say, let's work through this issue together. But we have to know that, you know, it can't just be all or nothing, that in order to solve problems that we have to be able to give and we have to be able to take. And really, we have to identify what our values are and think, what am I willing to give up? in order to really address this problem for a real and sustainable solution. And as we see in deliberation across college campuses, that's a new way of thinking for many college students. And it's a really difficult thing to teach as a faculty member to teach students. But once we begin to teach students those things and centers for civic engagement are really um, vital in helping faculty provide those different kinds of opportunities that students learn that issues aren't simple. 
that these kinds of wicked issues like homelessness, um, policing, um, race issues, um, wealth inequality issues, they're not just simple, but that they're deeply complex and they rely on understanding how people see the issue, what our values are and understanding where our values are in tension with each other and being able to talk and that talk develops trust. And if, you know, centers for civic engagement like the Madison Center can help students recognize and begin to build those skills for how to talk across these different kinds of divides, then um, hopefully we've set the stage for a really robust democracy. Yeah, I think that's that's so helpful for us to have not just the will, but also the way. So we we want we all want to see this kind of healthy conversation on campus, but we have expertise to be able to, to think about things like deliberative dialogue. I think that's incredibly helpful. We also continue to see that students nationally at many colleges, they don't feel like their views are welcome. We see in data sometimes that students feel like they might be retaliated against by classmates or by their professor if they share their actual political views. And that means we have work to do. So for example, next week, we have a lunch on October 4th with President Alger and with someone I consider one of the national leaders in free speech, uh, Dr. Jackie Pfeffer Merrill of the Bipartisan Policy Center, talking about free speech. And, and you know, spoiler alert, that's one of the questions I'm gonna ask them is how do, how do universities rebuild that trust and how do we find a way that students can um, feel like the classroom and, and our campus is a place where their, their ideas can be shared uh, without that fear of, you know, how things are going to be received. You know, and with that, I'd add a caveat, you know, this does not mean that all students' ideas are going to be received with open arms. What it means to have free speech, what it means to have healthy dialogue is sometimes your ideas are going to be rejected, debated, you know, uh, and new ideas are going to be presented as, um, you know, more true than that. And that that's just because a student's idea is rejected does not mean we don't have a healthy conversation and students need to know that as well. Um, but that's the kind of dialogue that we wanna have on campus where students feel like their voice is welcome and heard. We're creating frameworks for that to take place. And we're always keeping in mind that most Americans and certainly most college students care about issues and values. They don't care as much about the partisan fights between red versus blue. Those things have their place. They're really important. We love working with college Dems and college Republicans. Um, but if we think about the common good, how can we come around, rally around certain issues where we should all have a shared stake in what happens in the public square? Absolutely. Knowing both of you, I'm not surprised at your passion for how campuses and organizations like the Madison Center for Civic Engagement can support healthy dialogue and politics for student and the community. For students and the community. How did you get into this work and what inspires you that shapes how you think about the Madison Center's work? Yeah, thanks so much for that question. You know, my work up, up until this point, I'm a historian that has worked mostly at the intersection of Latin America and the US. And so all of my, whether my books or my articles or, or lectures that I've given, uh, this last year I was, I was honored to give lectures at Dartmouth, at Cambridge, an invited lecture at, at BCU and in Chicago. Um, and all of that work has focused especially on how religion and politics has been received and, and interacted with in the public square, um, how people have, have um, use that in particular with social movements or religion and social movements. And I think the closest that I got to the center was, was last year, uh, I put on a university-wide symposium that I called the Symposium on the Global Civil Rights Movement. And my students, I taught a class called the Global Civil Rights Movement. My students had spent the year in the archives of civil rights leaders like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta, Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Malcolm X. And so of course, all of that work focusing on 
These are uh, oftentimes religious actors, uh, and, and in the case of Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist pastor, but who's really having this massive influence on the public square. And we had this symposium, we brought in a speaker from, from Emory University, and our students had posters that they set up all around festival, our big conference center, where people were interacting with uh, the student research from the archives. We had a jazz band. We had a, a dessert reception. Um, and so, I, you know, I've been interested in in civic engagement, how we advance the common good for a long time. That's what all my research and scholarship has really been focused on. That was an event that it was actually supported by the Madison Center. Um, and so I've been orbiting this. And as a, as a scholar, I've been very interested in the topics. And then very recently, of course, being invited to, to take the lead here at the Madison Center, I've been excited to, to really front the civic aspects, the civic engagement spaces, uh, and then to, to enter into that dialogue more specifically with, with the big institutional backing of the center. Uh, that definitely, I know that definitely helps, right? Um, uh, David, I just so, so appreciate your answer. And um, that's why I love working with you, um, because I love the, the way that your research has really intersected with this notion of, you know, civicness. Um, uh, um, I, Leah, I appreciate your question also. I, I got into this work as a graduate student. Um, I was maybe this young idealistic PhD student who really thought that what I wanted to do with my life was to change the world. I think everybody goes to college because they want to be change makers. Um, and I took that with me through my bachelor's and master's and my PhD degree. And um, so I studied, um, like you, David, I studied social movements. And um, I was doing my work in a, in a social movement. I had my advisor challenge me to actually go in and sit into a social movement and bed my Myself. And when I did that, I, I, I packed up my belongings for a couple of weeks and, and went down to a movement. And I was really, in many ways, um, dismayed at some of the things that I saw that I really worried that what was happening, at least in this movement that I saw, you know, wasn't entirely effective, that the change that I thought that was important, this kind of localized change about really important issues, I didn't see them working on those sorts of things. Um, and as like I said, as, as a young idealistic graduate student, um, I was entirely and totally deflated. What am I going to do with my life now that maybe social movements don't work. And those are really generalizable claims. Forgive me, I was a graduate student at the time. <laughs> so, um, but at the time, I, um, at the same time as I was going through this perhaps midlife crisis, um, I received an email from um, the Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy at my school at Kansas State University, which is a center just like the Madison Center, which had support out of the provost's office that said, come be a graduate research assistant and you can work on, um, and you can work on, you know, making change at local levels. And so I said, okay, this is kind of interesting. Um, let me go see what these people are doing. We'd never, I'd never encountered anything like a center for civic engagement. And so I actually went, um, one of the first events that I participated in was this community forum that ICDD was hosting on mental health. And they convened a group of police officers, of physicians, of crisis counselors, of social workers and of people who um, very kindly were, um, you know, were struggling with their own mental health challenges and their families in a dialogue about how can we improve our community's mental health system. And it's these different people with very disparate needs who are often at conflict with each other had an incredibly productive conversation that led to real change that I could see happening. 
And this just inspired me to think about this work that ICDD was doing that centers for civic engagement have unique positions to provide for local communities, for state communities on these really different and difficult issues. So I made it my life's work. And now I get to be here at the Madison Center doing just this kind of work, but here in Harrisonburg and Rockingham County in Virginia. And um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you both for those powerful statements about the value of what Civic Centers and the Madison Center can bring to college campuses. And as I listen to your stories and think about both of your scholarly backgrounds and social movements, I'm thinking about the concept of the Madison Center being politically neutral. Is that accurate? Should the Madison Center be taking stances on controversial issues, especially when democracy itself is under threat? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we we are often um, we are often asked to take stances on issues, and I think as we as we look at what our country needs right now. As we look at the pressing challenges for our democracy, what I think that our country needs more than anything is people who are able to center the common good, people who are able to build trust across the aisle, bring people around a table of shared ideas and and put those values forward. So we are not value neutral at the center. We are, we are nonpartisan. And I think that's a really good distinction to make is that being nonpartisan is active. It's actually not passive. And oftentimes I think it's easier to be partisan. I think it's more simple to be partisan. I think it's more, um, you know, it's a lower hanging fruit to be partisan. And so when we are nonpartisan as a center, we are using agency, we are being active. And so we are, uh, we are wanting to be those who again, build trust all across the aisle. And we wanna front knowledge, skills, and values that then help people process how they can be active participants in our democracy. What we want to help people know how to think rather than what to think. And that is really important for us as we think about our mission. I think that there's a place for those with with a partisan mission. Um, We have a particular mission ourselves, which is much more focused. And so we are disciplined with that. We are mission forward in terms of being nonpartisan. And I think it's actually what our democracy needs most right now. Hear, hear. <laughs> I love that framing of saying that we're not value neutral. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Um, I have one last question for the both of you, and it's one this podcast asks all of our interviewees. As a historian, David, and as a sociologist, Kara, what would you do to strengthen our democracy on our campus? That's such a good question. And I think we've said all of your questions are good questions. But, um, you know, to me as a sociologist who understands how, you know, citizens and um, lowercase c citizens fit within a framework of, um, you know, democracy as a structure, uh, you know, I've really begun to think that people just need more opportunities to practice and play with democratic actions, that they need a chance to practice with what it means to be um, good public speakers, what it means to do something other than vote, but what it means to engage with their neighbors who may have a totally different political view or social view than they do. And if you know the Madison Center can give students an opportunity you know, on a continual basis and not just in particular classes and not just during the nine months that they're on campus, but throughout the year, online and offline, then I think we've done a lot to to, to strengthen, you know, s- democracy itself, but also to give students a chance to think of themselves as a skilled participant in our mm-hmm. democracy. That's great, Kira. I like that a lot. And I, you know, I would follow up and say, as a historian, I am... Definitely aware 
of the challenges that our democracy is facing. I will not downplay that. We are facing some challenges. But I also am optimistic about our country because we have, you know, as, as I look at, at the world and where democracy has failed, in particular as a, as a specialist who, who knows Latin America quite well, having spent a lot of time with Ukrainian leaders in a young democracy, um, we, need a, we need to be grounded in our history here in the U.S. that we have deep roots in democracy. We have institutions that are resilient and will persevere in this, I am confident of. And so being clear-eyed about our challenges, absolutely, but being optimistic that I, I think that our democracy it has a solid foundation that we can be uh, passionate about building upon. And so with that being said, I think, you know, as a historian, again, we need to be grounded. We need to know we've been here before in terms of challenges to our, to our democracy. We have faced significant issues and our country and our democracy has has stood strong with this deep, deep roots. And so I want I want that to begin. I also think that a center like the Madison Center is the most strategic place to do this work. We are at a university that can bring together incredible resources and expertise where if we want to hold an event tomorrow, we can bring together experts from health sciences and business and arts and historians, you know, sociologists, political scientists with the snap of a finger to bring this expertise to critical issues. Um, and we are also pretty nimble being our own unit on campus. We're able to, to use our resources perhaps in, in, you know, in very creative ways. Universities can move slowly. Universities can be dinosaurs sometimes. I think the centers can be a very strategic place. Not ours, we're not a dinosaur, but uh, <laughs> centers can be a very strategic place. And I think the most strategic place here at a university to be able to do this work of advancing knowledge, skills, and values that strengthen our, our democracy for the common good. So I am, as a leader, aware of our challenges and very excited about the future that our country is going to get through these things and continue to inspire democracies around the world. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirkpatrick and Dr. Dillard, for letting me take over hosting duties on Democracy Matters this episode. I appreciate both of you sharing your work with us, and I'm very excited to see where the center and this podcast goes in the future. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Leia Suravel, Democracy Fellow for Communications in the Madison Center for Civic Engagement. Randy Budnikis, JMU Director of Digital Marketing, provides syndication for the program. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can connect and engage with us online at JMU Civic on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University at jmu.edu slash civic. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.